Morning. Lamar, welcome home. Lamar and I were in Ethiopia together for half the trip um, with two of our sons and Brandon and my mom and help one now. And then he went on to Uganda with the cast of a reality television show, which just goes to show you that our little ratchet church, like Jason calls it, is just crazy. Like we got some crazy stuff that we're connected to. I don't even know what to say. Um, it was a great trip, a really beautiful trip. And uh, in Ethiopia on that Sunday, Brandon and I preached in two different churches in Ethiopia, and it was just so good to be there. And we came with your greetings. You know, we brought greetings and blessings from Austin New Church to them. And interestingly, all three of us, Jason here, me and my one church, and Brandon and his, who we didn't even call, we all taught on the Good Samaritan. And God just had his way. But it was interesting to, to hear Lamar talk about the clapping, because in each church, there's this little contingency of the Americans doing the wrong clapping, which we would say right. We would say, you know how to clap on the right. It's the opposite beat there, and they just kept looking at us like, get it together, man. Like, it was so hard to overcome our preferences. Okay, so we're in Acts 11. For those of you who are visiting with us, we're working through Acts, um, which is, to me, just a really exciting book because we get to see all the Gospels put into practice by human beings, and it's so instructive. It's so incredibly instructive. And I think this section that we're in right here, kind of right in this section of Acts, might be one of my, one of my favorite parts of the entire Bible, honestly. And I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful for the way that Luke curated it, the way he taught it to us, and the way he presented it to us, because it is so incredibly relevant and has never stopped being relevant. So, um, it, you know, if you've been studying along with us, you know that we have, you know, Jesus has ascended and we have this incredible persecution coming against the new way here. These new, I knew it. Darn it. I try so hard, Mac. I'm sorry. Bye-bye. Okay. <laughs> try so hard. Um, there's this persecution come against this new way of Jesus. And then, of course, we have the stoning of Stephen, and there's just a scattering. So all these brand new believers. So we're not talking about elders here. I mean, everybody's brand new in Christ. There's nobody who has been doing this for a lifetime. There's nobody who's been to seminary. Okay, we are talking about the youngest, earliest believers, and they're scattered everywhere. And then everything starts to get wonky, right? Everything starts to get wobbly. We see in the last couple of verses that, first of all, we see Peter and John go preach to Samaritans. Oh my gosh, I can't. Like, that is just not a thing that was ever done, and this is very concerning. Um, then we see um, Philip. He gets sent to the desert to minister to the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, this is another thing that was not done. These, this is not where the gospel has ever gone before. Then we see that Saul is converted, and it's just like, what is happening? Right? Like, what is going on? What Everything is kind of going off the rails in terms of how this gospel is going to move forward. And then, like we saw last week, Peter... It goes and eats with Cornelius, who's a Gentile. And not only eats with him, sees his entire family into the family of God, right? Sees through their salvation, prays for them to be baptized. So what I want you to understand as we come into Acts 11 is that tensions are high, okay? Tensions are very, very high. The Jewish believers are starting to feel 
some of their spiritual privilege and position slip away, okay? All of a sudden, what used to be so tidy, right? Everything just had such easy-to-see borders and demarcations. This was just not a gray area. Everything's starting to get fuzzy on the edges, okay? And you can understand that they're going, is this the way it's supposed to go? Are we doing this right? Um, Is this the way the kingdom is going to come? It's funny to me because, of course, we've got the benefit of hindsight, But the Old Testament, you know, had much, much, much to say about the salvation that was, that God planned on bringing about all along. I don't even know how many times he said in the Old Testament that it was going to be both for Israel and all the nations, right? Everyone. He said it over, this is not a mystery. This was not something out of left field. This was not a curveball. God has been saying all along, but I suspect that all in the reading of that for centuries, that the Jews assumed that the nations would indeed come to God, but it would be under their reign, not as brothers and sisters, right? So here we see for the first time, which would play out dozens and millions of times from here on out, that God's setting a wider table right? And so what we are able to observe so palpably is this discomfort and this fear that's beginning to take hold of the Jewish Christians. It's interesting historically because Judaism had always, has always left room for a few converts by faith, but it was by way of becoming a proselyte, which just means converted entirely. In other words, um, that meant that a, a Gentile could come to God, but he would no longer be considered a Gentile at all, but a Jew, right? He would, he would come, become a proselyte, meaning circumcision, meaning placed under the law of Moses, meaning basically you're forfeiting your heritage and coming into ours. So that was really the only way that you were able to be invited into God's family. Gentiles were only accepted and acceptable to Jews as Jews, but never as Gentiles. Okay, so in the first part um, here of Acts 11, we see that Peter, through way of Cornelius' family, did not command at all that these brand new Gentile believers become circumcised, but they become baptized we see this huge shift. And they were received into the faith as Gentiles. Huge. This is so monumental. I want to read to you um, a bit out of the beginning of Acts 11 before we concentrate in the back half. Um, Starting in verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. And said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. So Peter goes on to explain everything that happened in chapter 10. The whole scenario with Cornelius. He walks them through the entire entire circumstance. And then we read this in verse 15. As he's wrapping up the story. And you can go back and read it if you missed it last week. As I began to speak. This is Peter telling the Jewish Christians. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, and this is to their credit, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then 
God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Uh, I just want to point out before we zip forward that this gear change required by the Jewish believers cannot possibly be overstated. There is no way to adequately explain what a monumental shift this was in the story of God. Really, every moment of God's history with mankind thus far until this moment had Israel set apart as the only recipient of God's favor and salvation for millennia, millennia. So, moving into where we're at now, because this tension between what they plainly see God doing, right, and, the, and between that and their very well-intentioned objection, which is, but God, you said. Like, what about when you said? Okay, we want to be following you right. We want to be following you correctly. But you said, So what do we do with this now? And so at this very crucial moment in the history of the church, we get the story of Antioch. And it's so important, and it is so essential. So here's what you need to know about Antioch. It's about 300 miles from Jerusalem. It's not obviously a a Jewish city, and it's around half a million people. It is a major trade route. It's kind of at the intersection of three trade routes. In fact, Josephus ranked it as the third greatest city of the Roman Empire behind Rome and Alexandria. So we're talking about a really important city here that God centers right in this important part in the story of his church. Um, Let's pick it up in Acts 11 verse 19 through 25. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Okay, so we're still there. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, And saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Okay, so this, this matters so much, not only to the whole story of the church, but to us on this very day. So in this effort to, to connect, right, to begin building a new sort of church with a group that they did not understand, um, that had, they had never listened to, and they had certainly never welcomed the church sent a bridge builder. They sent Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. And the relevance here is just beyond. Um, I could pick several divisions right now in our culture, in our society, in our nation, among human beings, where um, a mentality of in and out or us and them um, threatens the kingdom right now. I mean, if you have ears and eyes, 
You just know that our nation is hurting right now, and people are wounded and fragmented and separated and angry and set against, okay? There's so much fear and misinformation and misunderstanding making it all worse. But specifically today, I think this story has so much to teach us about racial prejudice and racial inequality and tension and the work required toward unity in that conversation. I love this story because God's blessing on inclusive evangelism across ethnic lines here at Antioch is a critical reminder to us of where God's heart actually is. Lest we get confused, lest all this make us feel crazy and feel muddled and feel like, what, which way is north? We can go back to this moment in time and see exactly what the heart of God looks like. So while he may indeed, and in certain ways and in certain settings, give growth within homogenous ethnic units, let it be said, those are not his ideal, and nor should they be ours, Okay? And unity will not accidentally happen. They sent Barnabas. He stayed for a year with Paul. There was work to be done, and someone had to go. Someone had to say, I'm going to come to where you are. I'm going to sit in your cafes. I'm going to sit around your dining room table. I'm going to listen to your story that I've never listened to. I really don't know anything about you except that the whole of my life tells me that you are an outsider and I'm an insider. That's all they had in hand. But with a desire for unity and to build the church of God in the way that he told us to build it, they did the work. I want to, we're going to take a little bit of break here from this text. I want to introduce you. Um, I, I I was preparing this sermon this week and just thinking through how challenging it is to be a bridge builder. It's I've heard it said before, and let me just tell you that this is the truest thing I've ever heard. It's very, very hard to be a bridge builder because everybody walks on you, right? Whether this side is coming to this side or this side's turning to this side, it doesn't matter. They're walking on you. And the, the messenger gets shot often, right? And so this is not easy work, church, and I don't pretend to say that we're, we are called to easy work. Um, but there's, there's a difference between saying something safe like, Let's just pray for our nation. And saying something true and direct and prophetic and challenging. It's not the same. Okay? And so we are called to be peacemakers. Okay? Not peacekeepers. Peacemakers. We make the peace. We build the bridges. So I'm going to call some of my friends up here, and I'm going to tell you about them first. Y'all come on up here. Um, These are my friends. We have been in a... It's literally called a Be the Bridge group. We've been in it together for a year and a half. We're missing two um, members this morning who are out of town. And where is the, here we are. Okay, I got us. We all have on a lot of heels. So just (laughs) thank you for being kind. Okay, let me just get rid of this real quick. Hi. So it occurred to me that a lot of times in this conversation, much is said on what to do, but I think what might be more instructive is 
to see what can be done. Let's put an example in front. Like, what do we do? I think so many of us are craving to be a part of this solution, to be a part of this conversation, and we just don't know what it looks like. We don't know where to start. Um, we don't know how to overcome our fears. And so I thought, well, we have literally done this work together for a year and a half um, consistently, and I want you to meet um, my friends now. These three faces are familiar, okay? You know, Sam, Laura, Faith, all a part of the ANC community. Faith has just moved to Houston. She is doing an internship with um, Houston PD right now as a social worker. Um, but she, she was going to be back this morning, but I bullied her into staying for this. Um, this is our friend Miguel. Miguel goes to church at Higher Dimensions downtown. Um, and she bailed on her church this morning to be with us. And then our other two friends, Monica and Mimi, they both go to, you know, I always want to call it the old name. Austin Oaks, thank you. They go to Austin Oaks, and they wish they could be here this morning. But um, I want, we're just going to talk through um, a bit of of what we've experienced and what it has looked like for us. But um, I don't know why I'm holding this, because I have a microphone. Okay, that is not necessary. There. And it wasn't even on. It wasn't even on. Here. Um, By the way, let me just say this real quick before we jump into it. If we have time at the end, and I hope we have a few minutes, we're going to field some questions if you've got them, okay? So I'm just going to say this. It's okay if this makes you feel squirmy, okay? That's fine. Um, It's okay if you're like, what are they going to say, okay? It's okay if you are like, I have some questions and I'm afraid to answer. Um, I think we're going to have, the church of God is going to have to get more comfortable with discomfort, if we're going to be prophetic. Hey, if we are really going to be good news, if we are going to embody the heart of God in a place that is broken, unequal, fragmented, and hurt, then we're just, comfort is the last thing on our list. And so um, I just want to say that up loud. Can you maybe tell us a little bit, Faith, about how we got started, why we got started? That. So all of us, or a few of us, I think the three of us, or the four of us, were at IF Gathering, I think, in 2014. And Laura was dead set on meeting Latasha Morrison, who was the founder of the Be the Bridge um, ministry. And so she said, guys, we're meeting her. We're going to lunch, and we're going to rally. I need to talk about this with somebody. And so we all went. We met up with Latasha. She told us her vision. We latched onto it. And then Jen and Laura say to Tasha, who? will lead us. And then Tasha looks at me and says, faith will. And I was like, okay. Um, (laughs) And so from that, we began this journey of gathering together a group of us. And we wanted a diverse group of people to have this conversation with. And we have managed to have, um, we have an Asian person in our group. We have African-Americans represented. We have Hispanics and we have white people as well. And I think that's a big deal for us because we can hear from everybody and we can learn from each other. That's right. Thank you. Um, I, look, I want to reach for the mic. Just remind me that I have one. Okay. Um, first of all, thank you for being here. I love you like sisters. Um, let's just be honest and tell the church, how, um, how did you feel, any one of you, initially about coming into a group like this? Because we didn't all know each other either. Um, one invited one friend, one invited another. We all go to, we go to different churches. We live in different parts of the city. So, I mean, we kind of started from scratch to a large degree. So, um, what were your honest feelings when we had our very, very first meeting, like at Laura's house? Listen, 
all we do is talk over each other in our real group, so this is fake. <laughs> this is fake. This I don't want to talk thing, I don't know. That's not real. I think for me, um, I desperately wanted to engage the discussion, and yet I wanted to do it in an authentic, real way, not be like, hey, we're going to be friends. You know, I'm going to make you be my friend. You know what I mean? Like, it felt, I didn't want it to be an inauthentic thing, and so I had a little fear to begin with. Of course, we got over that super fast because, well, y'all are y'all. But I think... Um, I had a lot of awareness just about um, my own desire to learn, and yet, obviously, being one of the two white people in the group, I wanted to tread carefully, so, mm-hmm. you know, I'd and be a so listener. And just so you know, just as a point of frame, a point of reference, what we, what we came together through is a curriculum called Be the Bridge, and um, Troy, I gave you, where's the link going to be? Okay, we're going to have a link for you, and he'll tell you where. But um, it was a, I don't know, a 12-part curriculum maybe. So we had something to go through. We weren't just getting in a room together like, somebody say something, right? Like we had had some, Tasha wrote it, this beautiful curriculum for what it looks like to to engage racial healing. So that's how we were starting. What about you guys? Initial feelings. Um, I didn't have any reservations. Good morning. Uh, I am normally just an open book, and I say stuff you do. that probably shouldn't be said. So, I was, <laughs> so I was ready. I was ready. But, but hearing Laura say, um, you know, that she probably wanted to tread lightly, I'm sure that was somewhere in me also. Like, I'll, I'll take it easy at first to see um, how it's going to go before I just let loose all the way. But I was ready. I, w- I think I was ready for this conversation, which is why Jen invited me. I, I was really ready for the conversation. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was actually shocked that you guys wanted to have the conversation. Yeah. I'm so used to being on my toes, ready to talk about it, and other people usually aren't. And so I just kind of keep it to myself and or kind of get into the closet with my other black friends and we're like, girl, did you see what happened? I'm like, yes, you know, you know, but then when you're the only African-American in a very white space, if you look around you when I came to ANC, um, you know, there weren't really many African-American people and um, it was just me and Zeke and the adopted kids. So, (laughs) so. Shout out to, you know, all the kids. Love you guys. Solidarity. Um, So that, it was exciting to be around people who wanted to talk about it. Yeah. else? How do you follow that? Yeah. Um, I think for me initially, I was really, like, hesitant. I, um, I'm obviously, I'm not black and I'm not white. Um, and I didn't really quite know what my place was in the conversation. Mm. And, um, I mean, anybody who's friends with Faith Brooks knows that, like, this conversation does mean a lot to her. And we had had a lot of side conversations. And, um, you know, she encouraged me and was like, I think you need to. But I was like, ah, like, I will admit, I'm the quiet one of the group. Like, I don't talk. Like, I let them do all the talking. But, um, I, but I did want to engage. But I was very reserved at mm. first. Thank you for that, Sam. I, and I'll just say, speaking for white people, uh, I guess I'm the spokesman. Um, 
Uh, to just to be honest with you, just in case you're sitting there feeling this way, I was afraid of what I didn't know and that I would just blunder my way through it, right? Like I would say the worst thing, the wrong thing, the dumbest thing, the most inaccurate thing. Um, I knew enough to know that I had a lot of blind spots here. And so I went in with some trepidation for sure. And um, wanting to be a good sister, but not knowing how to do it. So I just want what I guess what I want you to hear us say is that you don't have to come into this conversation confident. You don't have to come in feeling like you have it all in hand um, or that you really have a handle on where this is going, but you just have to come in hungry, right? Hungry. You have to come, you just care. If you care, that's a starting place. Um, as we got started, um, as the conversation began, what, what can we tell them? What were some of the things, at least initially, that made us a bit uncomfortable? Well, we had some uncomfortable moments. Um, what were some of the things where you were kind of like, fix it, Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, how, do we, how do we get through this? How, do we, how can I say this out loud or how can I hear this? You know what I mean? Um, I'll be honest and say that um, I still am struggling with the conversation turning away from just black and white and being very inclusive of our other group members. Um, and I realize I still have so much to learn mm. because being black is my whole perspective. Um, it hasn't left a lot of room for me to consider what it is to be Asian um, mm. and Asian American, what it is to be Hispanic or Mexican American or whatever. Um, so I'm still, that's still kind of an uncomfortable area for me. Um, I tend to draw back a little bit when Sam starts talking because I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So then I kind of find myself in that same place that you're speaking about, like not knowing if I'm going to say the wrong or right thing, if I'm going to be offensive. Um, and I like that, though. Yeah. I like that, that that's happening that's to me. I think for me it's just more of seeing our, like, our group of people and thinking, how are we going to even make this happen? Like, what are we going to be able to say to one another and have grace for one another in our blunderings here? Because it's going to happen. And how do we include um, Sam? How do we include Mimi? How do we include their voices in this conversation when we can pander for an hour about an issue that is clearly black and white and we're forgetting our friends like how can we sit and learn from them Mm -hmm. and I think that was kind of like attention Mm -hmm. and it's something that I think all of us desire is to learn from one another and Mm -hmm. kind of just learning to take the back seat and say can you please talk to us we want to listen um I just think for me um being able to be a listener and a learner in a place of privilege yeah. is um, a challenge, you know, because I, um, I would say it was, it was probably about three years ago that I just started to learn about the concept of privilege and the fact that I have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the thing about privilege is you don't have to think about it. Um, until you choose to. And so I think being in the position of privilege is a challenge in a group space like this where you want to be able to join the conversation and say things or ask questions, but I'm very aware of that in this space. And so I think that that's a challenge for me. Mm, That's good, Laura. 
Um, I think something that made me uncomfortable in the beginning was, even though I am a person of color, was honestly confronting my own bias, Mm, Um, listening to everybody in our group, because we all have some sort of story, Um, whether, you know, it's white guilt, or I faced racism this way, or this was what my background was like. Um, I think for me, it was just like, I was like, oh, I'm a person of color, like, of course I'm on their side, but also at the same time, like... I was like, but, oh, like, what have I been trained to Mm. know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so just to actually, like, sit down with that, kind of when the scales come off your eyes and you're just like, oh, man, like, I've got to confront some sin in my own heart that maybe I didn't want to acknowledge that was there. So that was Mm -hmm. a really kind of uncomfortable space for me in the beginning. I appreciate that, that you said that so much. I would... I would, mine fell along those lines as well. And again, we tell you this just to show you by way of like a living example that this is not, it's, this can be difficult work and it can be clunky. Um, I, I came into this conversation um, just full blinders. You know, I, I thought, well, you know, we used to have racism, but then Martin Luther King. Now it's done. And um, so, in fact, I was telling Faith, we were together last night, and I was telling Faith, she was the first person that I ever heard, ever, and I've lived in this town for 16 years, um, who said, it's really hard to be a black person in Austin. There's no black people here. Um, and I was like, what? What do, you, what, do you say? what do you mean it's hard to be black here? I mean, it, that, that idea had never even crossed my mind, um, that she might feel lonely in her own environment, in her own church, um, in her, in South Austin period. And, um, and, and then even the girls are so like, we say everything now at this point. So even just hearing that, um, like even just understanding that sometimes they have to go to their black club and talk about us and, and you know what I'm saying? And commiserate together in the most truthful way, something that gets veiled around white people that gets polished up a little bit, that gets edited, um, was painful to hear. Um, That's just not something I understood. And so um, really understanding how deeply the alienation goes and how hard it has actually been um, for my friends was hard to confront, hard to admit my complicity in it, um, which for me was almost a full function of negligence. That would have been... that was. Mine was just blind. I guess everything's fine. Everybody's happy. Everybody has friends. Everybody loves church. Everybody loves Austin. Uh, I'm like, you don't love Austin? What are you saying? Like, nobody says that. Um, And so hearing, it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear. When you hear some hard truths, it's hard to receive. And so that kind of bridges us into this next question. And, um, and I think we all have an interesting perspective here and yet different. Can you share a little bit? maybe one or two, just um, your personal experiences with racism. And I, we bring this up because there is a white narrative that says this is an invented problem. That's out there. This is invented. This is made up. The more you talk about it, you're the one causing it. Um, this is media-fueled. There's very much a white narrative that wants to erase this voice, this lament, um, this call for reform and repentance. Um, and so I think I would just love for you to hear that uh, this is not invented at all. Could, could we talk a little bit about um, sort of our, our, personal, our personal experience here? 
Okay, so bear with me. Because for me, when I saw that question, I was like, that is really vulnerable. I know. Um, And it's hard, you know, y'all, it is hard to want to express your heart to a group of white people. Um, And I know that sounds so crazy, but it's just so true, you know? And Facebook makes it even harder. Um, Because you feel like people won't understand or they might feel like you're making it up. I think for me, some of my experiences my whole life have just been a series of microaggressions. If you don't know what that is, there's lots of info on it. Um, give a quick sentence on what that means. A microaggression is kind of like basically somebody saying something to you kind of sideways. I'll give you a few examples. Yeah. This is my lifetime. You are just so smart and proper well, and well-educated. And wow, you're just not like the rest of them. Thanks. So I spent a lot of my childhood being like accepted and I was the end because I was, I wasn't like other black people. I was acceptable. I could fit in with white culture and people loved that about me. But yet it took me a while to realize that it wasn't a compliment. And even just dealing with little things like your hair, like when I was here in Austin, like the craziest thing was said to me and it was really hurtful. This girl told me that my hair looked like a science experiment. And I was just like, wow. And I know that she meant it well in her mind. She was trying to compliment me. Um, but, but it was kind of just like a backhanded compliment. Um, and just the fact that you're constantly having to adjust to white culture every single day, everywhere you go, especially when you're in Austin. I worked with a group of ladies that I knew I had nothing in common with, and this is going to sound super weird, but I started watching The Bachelor simply because I wanted to have something to talk with them about, because that's what they talked about, and I knew that we had no common ground. And it's that adjustment, that daily making those adjustments all the time and experiencing those comments from people that just don't know or people looking at your hair and touching at it like it's magical, like you're a little doll. Um, it's hard. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to say yet. Okay. okay. She's thinking. Uh, what was the question? What's your personal experience? <laughs> Sorry. Kind of your uh, personal. Yeah, I can specifically like think back to college. I went to Texas A&M, and that's also another pretty white conservative place, College Station, and um, loved my time there. And uh, but I College Station doesn't have much, and I remember they got this really new, cute little boutique. And so a couple of my friends and I, they were, we were all like, "Let's go!" And um, so I, we went, and I was just browsing. And before, like, just really quickly, I started to notice the manager was following me all around the store. Um, mm. And I remember, like, going back to the dressing room, like, actually trying things on. And, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, like, I have money. Like, I can buy this. Like, what is going on? And um, I just, I watched her and, like, never paid any attention to my friends and pretty much, like, followed me all the way out the door. And I remember just thinking, leaving, like, that was so interesting. Like, I, um, I was like, I'm here, I'm getting an education, like a, a damn good one, you know, like this is a good university. And, and kind of like you said, there's that constant adjustment and assimilating to, um, to the culture that does seem to be the prized one. And, um, yeah. And that, so that was a pretty Mm. wide opening experience Mm -hmm. for me. 
Um, I think what I want to just add to that, having been deeply involved in this space now for a few years, is just simply this. When our black friends and our Hispanic friends and our Asian friends, when they tell us um, that they have been omitted, that they have been slighted, that they've been harmed, um, we should believe them. It's just that simple. Um, It is not upon us to tell them, no, you were not hurt. No, that did not happen to you. No, that is not how that was. Um, Because we are um, members of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. And God told us to mourn with those who mourn. And God told us, you belong to each other. You are brothers and you are sisters. What hurts one hurts you all. Okay, what gives, you, what gives one joy gives you all joy. And so this um, persistent white denial is painful to people of color. It's so painful. Um, and if not even white denial, white silence. Um, to just say, and b- believe me, I understand. A few people read what I write. Okay, so I understand what it is like when you go out there and you're going to take some bullets. I know, okay? And, it's, and you could be scared. Like, uh, if there's anything that we prize, it is being liked and accepted and not criticized, okay? This is just not the space for that to be our top goal. And so um, even if that just looks as simple as saying, I hear you and I see your pain and I'm sitting with you in it, that counts and that matters and that builds a bridge. And that leads me kind of to our next question, you guys, which is... Um, this is such a fragile, tender time. This summer has been racially devastating, just devastating in our country, in our culture. People are scared, and they are hurting, and they are lashing out, and everything just seems to be happening every five minutes right now, right? And so it's such like just a, this fragile time, you guys, for race relations. How can we instruct, what can, what can we say out of personal experience in terms of what sorts of responses from people build bridges here, and what sorts of responses burn them down? Just, I'm sorry if this is discomfort. I'm sorry if this is uncomfortable, but um, this is a good starting place. Um, first, let me say that I particularly am your friend um, because Jen and um, Laura are very, very on fire about this topic. <laughs> they so much are always so. telling us, simmer, simmer, <laughs> take it down a notch. So She is great, the greatest person in our group. So, so I've spent a lot of time in our groups, and I meant that, I, I mean it, um, but I kind of, part of the struggle in being the group is um, being able to empathize with the white experience, even though I'm not white. Um, and when, when I hear Jen and Laura being just so, they are hard line, like, hey, no, this is wrong and this is what they're going to have to do if we want to get this right. And I'm like, but hold on just a minute. Let's just think this through. Let's think about the experience. So one of the things that um, my pastor teaches on a lot and has really um, shaped my perspective is perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, to take time to understand what people's perspectives are and to acknowledge those yeah. and, and not to say whether or not it's right or wrong. The thing about perspective is that everybody has one, mm-hmm. 
Um, and they're all shaped by everybody's different experiences, where you grew up, who your parents were, um, you know, how much money you had, what part of the country you're from, or what part of the world you're from, et cetera, et cetera, and the things that have happened to you. So those are the things that shape your perspective. And what happens is that what has been painful, I think, from the black perspective is a lack of obvious um, acknowledgement, um, a, a lack of what, you, what one would think would be just human nature. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily an animal lover. Mm. Um, I don't have any pets. Um, I don't, you know, it's just not anything that I am. However, I can see a news story about animals who have been treated terribly, um, the pictures where they've been locked up and chained up and not fed, and I think to myself, what sort of disgusting person, and I don't, I'm not an animal lover, but I can see that and say, what sort of disgusting person would treat an animal that way? Why, why would you do that? And something needs to be done. And even within my own community, I feel like this is a good illustration because um, we haven't had the best, if you would agree, <laughs> we haven't had the best track record in caring for our pets um, and so even within my community, I'm like, no, we can't be having the dog chained up out in the yard anymore. That's like an old mentality. That's gone. We need to be friends with our pets. We need to, you know, do some things a little bit differently. I hope that makes sense. So, um, so what's painful is a lack of acknowledgement that from what I can't hear it. It's not obvious I don't know if you're saying it at home, but it would be greatly appreciated if it was vocalized, like where we could hear it, that says, that is, that is so wrong, yes. what just happened. And I guess the insult to the injury is that there's so many layers yeah. and layers and layers and years and years and years of hurt and pain upon hurt and pain that from the black perspective um, needs to be acknowledged. And we can't hear anybody saying that that's wrong, that's terrible, that should have never happened, it needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And how can we fix it? Mm, That's good, Miguel. Thank you for saying that. I think one of the most awesome things happened to me last Saturday. I was meeting with one of my best friends. Um, She's white, and most a lot of my closest friends are. and she just looked at me and she said, how are you doing? And I just hugged her and I said, honestly, it's really hard to be black right now. I was like, it's hard. It's hard because I feel so torn. I feel like condemning injustice um, puts me in a corner and it isolates me um, because from what I've seen and what other friends have experienced is that it makes people feel like calling out, like, man, Philandro should have never, he shouldn't have died, Mm. um, means that I don't like and respect and admire police officers, and I do, because we need them, and that's just the truth. Um, And I think that it tears me apart inside because it feels like you're in the position to have to pick sides. Yeah. And I don't want to pick a side. I want to just care about human life. 
And I want to just know that we collectively can care about human life together. Just that's it. And that's what I told my friend. She said, I don't know what to say. I said, if we can all just care about life and we don't have to worry about people's track records and what they did before and if they've been to jail before and how crazy their life might have been, if we can just care about the fact that they were breathing and now they're not, and we can unite on that, then that means something. If somebody's done something wrong, we need to trust that hopefully our justice system can improve and they can you know, be tried for whatever it is that they did. But if we can just care about the fact that we want them to get, if possible, from the car to the police station to the jailhouse, that that can happen. Mm. And in the same breath, say that we need, honor, respect our police officers, that they do hard work in our community, and we need to build a bridge there, which is why I'm doing my internship at the police department, to be a bridge to help learn what can I say to the black community, to the brown community, to where we can make some strides towards being better because we need each other. And um, so what can we say is, I'm sorry Mm. that you're hurting. Can we just listen together? Um, I think for me, um, again, this space is challenging sometimes because I have just had to learn that as awkward and uncomfortable as it feels sometimes, my friends who are people of color, like when stuff goes down, whether it, just like Faith is saying, um, I don't, there's so much about um, the collective community that, that the black experience, you know, that you guys have that we don't understand as a white community because we haven't had to because of the history of our country and all of that, that I think for me, um, what a lot of what I didn't understand is when I would reach out to my friends, like even if it's not happening to them, Mm -hmm. the fact that it's happening in their community makes them hurt. And we don't, we don't have that same kind of collective mentality. Right. We just don't, and we don't understand it, um, but I'm trying to understand that, but I have to get over the awkward feeling that it is to be, to reach out to my friends and be mm-hmm. like, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, this is, the, you know, the news is crazy. Like, what, how are you feeling about this? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that feels awkward and like, I'm, I'm not sure about it, but every time I do, you know, my friends are like, thank you for acknowledging like just even if you're stumbling and you don't know what to say and sometimes I say really dumb stuff but the thing is you learn in the process of that as well especially because um everyone that I've talked to has a lot more grace than you would think just because you're trying to engage the conversation so good Laura um I think they pretty much said it all but I'm kind of piggybacking off of Laura just um not only checking in and saying how you're doing, but also saying I'm sorry. Um, I feel like it goes a long way to say, yes. like, I, I do see you, and I'm saying I'm sorry. I I'm one person, and I can't fix everything, but I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry for what has happened to you. I'm sorry for what has happened to your community. Yeah. I'm sorry for your pain. Even though I may not understand the whole depravity of it, I'm sorry. Um, I feel like that has just done... 
I don't know, just all kind of crazy things. And people are more gracious when mm. they just see that you are willing to be in the conversation and engage. I love that. Please. I just want to say another thing to kind of put a frame of reference on, on the experiences. Um, if, we, if we can understand, um, I'm not an expert in psychology, um, but I think most of us adults, um, educated adults, have some sort of understanding of how traumatic experiences um, cause people to act. Um, and so from the black perspective, um, we have documented trauma, um, hundreds of years of trauma and layers and layers of different things that may cause us to react a certain way. I worked for 10 years for Travis County, um, the criminal court system. And one of my good friends who's white, um, and this often got said, you know, we'd be reading uh, police affidavits and um, one of the common things um, that you will see somebody arrested for is evading arrest. Mm. Um, well, that's because when we see the police, we run. Mm -hmm. I can't really explain it to you necessarily because from a lot of times, my white friends would be like, I don't understand if you haven't done anything wrong, um, why would you run? It's because of the trauma and how we can pull up movie clips and, and documents that show that the police haven't historically um, been our friends, I'll say it that way. Um, when we look at the images, we see a lot of hurt and pain when it comes to the police officers. So, um, so when, when, you're, when you're in a situation where you feel like this, might, this encounter might end my life, um, I think on a basic level, um, you run to try to save your life. And um, it's those sorts of things that I think when Laura talks about um, things you don't understand because you've never had to understand it, those are the good things that come out of the conversations that we have because you start to get an understanding. And I am big on understanding because... God says that in, to get wisdom, but to get an understanding. And all you're getting, get an understanding. And I feel like understanding is just key to unlocking mm -hmm. so much for us. Um, and I also, I, I'm kind of, I'm angry, um, but I'm not angry at people. I'm angry that um, the enemy, speaking as a believer, I'm angry that the enemy has done such mm. a job on us mentally, that everybody's held at bay because we're all afraid of what to say. We're all afraid of if we're going to offend somebody. I mean, that fear tactic that we're not supposed to be operating with as believers is leading us. Fear is just, has just devoured us and is just leading us. And that is so contrary to who God has called us to be. And I just feel like it's, we're this close, yeah. right? Like, it's just like, wait a minute, we know better mm -hmm. because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And in, in that moment, we can just recognize that um, we're better together than we are separated. I just feel like, I, I don't know if it's going to all go away magically, mm -hmm. but I just feel so 
um, empowered that as a believer yeah. that we can we can make some we can make some changes right. and that we are going to have to be the leaders um, because we have what the world doesn't have. Right. We've got the power of God. Well, I can't say that any better. Uh, um, thank you. And we're over time. Two things. Um, number one, somewhere on the ANC website are going to be some resources for you. Um, I've got a link to the curriculum we've gone through. If you want to pull together a group of six, eight, ten friends and give it a go, um, I can tell you, I'm glad to tell you that what maybe starts out a little, like, awkward, you're kind of like, hey, it's so, we all sat around a table, like, so weird. Uh, now we're sprawled everywhere. It, it gets, it, it progresses, okay, that space together that you build, you just become friends. Um, so that's going to be on there. I've got a whole laundry list of resources for you. If you're like, where do I start? And um, what can I read? What can I watch? Who can I listen to? I've got a I've got more than you ever wanted in your life, okay? Um, it's going to be on the website somewhere. Um, maybe two or three questions. I know we're over. We're over. Um, uh, I, first of all, we're not experts. <laughs> so if we don't know it, we're just going to pass you, okay? Um, but we would love to be able to field just a couple. We don't have time. I wish we had more. But a couple of questions if you've got them. Welcome. Well, just in the, our particular group, we just came together as women. We kind of came out of a women's conference, and that was sort of our connecting group. And uh, we just like to be in a room with girls. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so but you have you a men's group. You can group. start a men's group. You can start a co-ed group. Yeah, this is not a prototype. It's just what we have. Okay, sure. Mm. Like ethnic, eth ethnically ambiguous? Is that what you're saying? Okay. good question. Did you, did you hear it? Yeah. I actually really like your question. I'll say it this way in a way that some friends and I said when we were little kids, when we were the only black kids that were homeschooled, I was homeschooled my whole life. Um, we said, man, we are so much more open to white people and to just loving them than they are to us. So um, I don't think you would have a problem with people um, receiving that. A lot of people in the black community um, want that. Mm. I love that question. I saw, I read a story this week um, that um, a, a black lady wrote on Facebook and it kind of went viral, but she said she's just a regular person. She was just in a, in a store 
just in the grocery store, and um, there were two white police officers who'd come in the door, and just everything is so tense right now, right? And so, you know, her hackles just sort of went up, and she just said, she was thinking, I'm going to get watched. I'm going to get policed here. And instead, one of them made a beeline for her, and she's saying how her heart is pounding, and she's like, I knew it. Like, I knew it. Here we go. And he literally walked up to her and just opened his arms and said, it's been such a hard summer. Like, how are you? It was so beautiful. They both started crying. It's like an embrace in the middle of aisle seven. You know, just, I'm just saying, I don't think we can go wrong with love and kindness ever. Just ever. I think, I appreciate your question. Who else? Did you hear her in the back? She basically said she wants to start this curriculum, and she's having to restrain herself from tackling people in the store that she doesn't know. Like, do you want to be a part of this? Um, all, our group was born entirely out of relationship. So there was a couple of us that were interested, and we said, you invite someone, you invite someone, I'll invite someone, let's invite it. And that's how our group came to be. I, that, that feels probably more authentic, but who am I to say? You know, right? I will say, though, that Allison Morris is the queen of making friends on aisle That's seven. That's true. So That's true. if you can get some Allison Morris bravery yeah. and just say, hey, listen, there's all this stuff going on. I want somebody to talk to you. I don't even know if you're the right person, but... Can, could we talk? You know, just don't do it weird. You know, like, just yeah. don't be like, hey, so I really need black friends yeah. to have this conversation with. If yeah. you would join me, that'd be great. You know, but if you yes. could just genuinely come up yeah. to somebody and be like, hey, like, I just, I need your voice. Yeah. Like, I need your voice. It's good. Good for you. Pretty sure you just did, right? Yeah, you I was literally about to say the same, yeah. like literally the same thing of like all those questions you're asking right now, like that Hispanic person that you see, just like just getting across the table from them yeah. and saying, "Tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your experience." Like I really want to learn and listen. Does wonders. Totally. It goes so far. It might feel like it is the smallest thing that you could do, but just genuinely saying, I want to listen, um, opens so many kind of doors. That's so perfect. all the questions that you literally just stood up and asked, ask them. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You want to add to that? Yeah. And, and I want to add to that. Uh, I want to add to that, Sam, because I don't want to minimize um, what the difficulty that she's going to experience when she does that. And also for you, sir, you asked the question about, you know, is it an okay thing to do this? Um, Again, the the challenge that you're up against is is a whole lot of distrust. You're right. Okay? So in the black community, in the households, it gets said stuff like, don't trust white folks as far as you can throw them. Okay? So I don't care how nice you are to me, 
what has been implanted in my thinking is that I'm never to trust you because you're always going to be white and I'm always going to be black. And so there's going to be some apprehension. There's going to be some, um, why is this person talking to me? And, you know, we, people got, people got trust issues for real. Um, again, based on your experiences, the things that have happened to you, just across the board, people mm-hmm. have trust issues. And then when you start to talk about the racial divides and what's been said in your home and, you know, what you grew up with, and um, you, you're trying to combat all those things, but you're trying to be somebody different at the same time. So yeah. it's a struggle. You're right. It's a hard thing. And so I love that both of you um, are taking that bold and courageous step, and you're thinking, I need to, I need to step outside of... Yeah. of what's normal, what has been happening, and do something different. Because that's the only way those, yeah. those walls are going to come down. Right. Um, when I see that people are actually genuine and that I can trust white people um, and that everything that got told to me in my past about mm-hmm. white people, 100% of that um, is not always true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, it's, it, please, please ask the questions. Please approach people and know that you're up against some, mm. some apprehension because right. there's a lot of distrust that has been generated. It does. My experience is that tension is the beginning of every good thing. Um, I wish there was another way. I wish it could just be the comfort is the beginning of every good thing, but it's always the tension and something beautiful is always on the heels of it. I think we probably have time for one more. Our poor nursery workers. Okay. Yeah, it's you. Totally. Um, yeah. Can you give an example of the truth that you feel the church should uh, should be seeking in the place of like those platitudes? Can I say a little something? You do. Uh, I love your question. Yeah. Totally love it. Um, I think that is a good question. That's what a brother or a sister asks. How can I be a better brother or sister? Um, let me use this for for an example. Um, we see a lot of tension around the, um, the phrase Black Lives Matter, for example. Um, and, of course, one of the, the, the common rebuttals is all lives matter. Um, and we see that a lot. And I know that that comes from a good place. I do. I actually know the intention behind the all lives matter rebuttal. Um, um, I, was, I, I saw this explanation. Maybe you've seen this as well. And I found it profound and spiritual and holy um, that... Um, we can look at the life of Jesus, um, who, to whom truly all lives mattered. But what we find him saying in the Gospels are um, Samaritan lives matter. Women's lives matter. Lepers' lives matter. Um, ultimately, Gentiles' lives matter. And so he chooses these groups who are specifically and particularly oppressed, marginalized, harmed, wounded, 
And to them directly and specifically, he says, until your lives matter, then no one's life matters, right? And so um, I, what I find moving, what I am drawn to in a spiritual leader is someone who is willing to admit, because it's almost always entirely from a place of privilege from where denial comes, almost always. It's almost always a white voice. Um, and so to be able to say with humility, this, matter, this specific instance, you said this earlier, this was wrong. This was wrong. This should not have happened. Um, if, if the person, if we removed that person from the scenario and put a white person in, it, there would be outcry to the ends of the earth. And so um, to me, the specific overrides the general every time. And that's the hardest thing to reach for. It's the hardest thing because you'll have people in your group, family members, neighbors, friends, church members who are going to be like, we don't like this. We don't like this. You're causing problems is what they'll tell you. You're causing racial problems. Um, But it's the right thing to do. It's the brave thing to do. It's the courageous thing to do. It's what will build bridges. Um, It's what sets us together as brothers and sisters instead of an us and a them mentality. And so, um, and that doesn't have to be big sweeping on social media. It can be one-on-one, right? It can be on the phone. It can be on a text. It'd be across from your friend to say, that I see you and this matters to me. Your life matters to me. So um, when you can reach for a specific identification with people who are hurting, that goes so much further than say, everyone's hurting. The world is hurting. Um, you want to add to that as we wrap up? Anybody? Thank you. I love you. Um, okay. You have control now. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to... Friends are awesome. I'm sorry that my friends curse in church. We just, they need to be sanctified, okay? Um, Let me just say this as we move into communion. If this text in, um, in Acts tells us anything, it's that it's not people's right understanding of how God is going to move, that's the highest thing. I mean, because here we see that the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and in the life of a believer absolutely did not produce instant maturity, um, instant doctrinal accuracy, instant spirituality, instant unity. I'm, I'm relieved by that, um, that we see people kind of fail and stumble here. So what we can take away from this is that it is the gospel that has priority. It is the gospel. And it has profound profound implications in, the, in our hearts, in our society, in our culture, and in the church. And it is not only God's provision for making peace between sinful man and a holy God, but it's the same provision which makes peace between people, okay, between races, between groups, between ethnicities, between countries, between nations, It is the gospel which brings peace with God, and it also produces peace with man. It has the power to change our own hearts. It's still relevant. It's still powerful. It is not upon you and I to have this correctly, all perfectly in hand, the right language, the right words, the right everything. This is God's work, okay? And he began it so long ago, and he will see it through, okay? The gospel is powerful enough to do the impossible, 
If it feels impossible today, when we look out over the landscape of such hostility, I am telling you that it is possible with God. Okay? It is. Um, And so we cannot, we dare not discriminate with the gospel in any way, not in inclusion, not in love, not in belonging, not in connection. It is not ours to withhold. Okay? It is not ours to hoard. God's saving grace is so powerful that it overcomes man's differences and it is able to make us one in spirit and in truth. So that which we cannot do alone, God can accomplish. Okay? I'm telling you, the church is a miracle. It's a miracle because it brings together people as brothers and as sisters who were born as strangers. It's a miracle.